Take your seats, movie fans. The film is about to start. Welcome to Craft to Services, the show where we look at the bad films of cinematic history, the movies that critics rejected but audiences embraced. I'm your host, Aaron Coker, a.k.a. Caliban. I'm also the host of the Just Enough Trope podcast and the Enterprising Individuals podcast on this, the Just Enough Trope Network. You can find out more at justenoughtrope.com. And I wanted to say we have a new show of sorts on the Just Enough Trope Network. Uh, with the advent of Star Trek Discovery, we have launched a Star Trek Discovery coverage show called Star Trek Discoverage, which is available live Every Sunday night after Discovery airs on CBS All Access, you can catch that live by following us on Twitter or by checking it out on our Spreaker page where there is a live link to it every Sunday night. And if you miss it live, don't worry, it's available on our usual feed at the Just Enough Trope Network. Joining me on the show today is a member of the Just Enough Trope Network. It is Diane Blumenfeld, a.k.a. Mikan Hana. Diane is the co-host of the Just Enough Trope podcast, the flagship show on the Just Enough Trope Network. Diane, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Aaron. I appreciate it. Hopefully our listeners are familiar with JET, as it's called in the parlance, but can you give us a brief history of that show? We've been going strong for about three years now. We... Just finished talking about uh, Grant Morrison's run on JLA. Oh, sure. Famous run. So, yeah. Um, we talk about comic books quite a bit. As far as the tropes go, what, what kind of tropes do you cover on the show? Oh, all kinds. Enough, I would assume. Yes. Just <laughs> enough. Uh, like you dig into uh, movies, uh, TV shows, comic books, and things like that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, is there a favorite moment you have from the show or something that you've talked about on the show that uh, was a lot of fun? Um, we just recently talked to um, composer Christopher Carter, um, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, he's done a lot of work for uh, Warner Brothers Animation. Okay. Um, and it was just interesting learning about how that process works and um, what he has to go through as a composer for for those series. Okay. Um, and how also, like, everybody, all the characters have their own light motif. Sure. So. Right. You have to keep that in mind when you're writing for that character. Uh, what's Condiment King's light motif? Oh, boy, I don't know. <laughs> it's just the sound of a, a Heinz ketchup bottle farting <laughs> over and over again. Robin, was that you? No. <laughs> it's the Condiment King. Uh, well, that's great. Uh, and you have a lot of uh, guests. Um, I guess we could hesitate to call them celebrity guests. Not because they're not famous, but because it's not about celebrity. It's about getting creators on the show. That's true. To talk about their work. And, yeah, I mean, to talk about the tropes involved, but uh, a celebration probably uh, you might agree, above the uh, of the nerd, Absolutely. of the world of the nerd. That's an excellent way of putting it, well, is a celebration. You. Okay, well, I should know. Uh, well, this uh, JET Network show is called Craft of Services, and this show actually started as a segment on the Just Enough Trope podcast. That's right. Um, so in uh, doing, and that segment lasted for a while, I'd say probably a good year or two. Um, what were some of the worst movies that you covered Oh, boy. Like That's get, an excellent question. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see if I even remember them because I might have blanked them out of yeah, my head. I can imagine that that'd be an occupational uh, hazard. Yeah. Jingle All the Way was pretty bad. <laughs> 
Um, how dare you? Uh, <laughs> it's probably going to show up at some point on this show. I think it'll be revisited. So probably. Uh, would you like to be invited back for that show? Sure. <laughs> I don't. Uh, what What did you uh, do? You remember what you said specifically about it? It's not very good. Um, it's not very good. Well, I mean, just like the 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 toy that they're selling. The Turbo Man. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I mean that was pretty terrible. I yeah yeah. Also the fact that he becomes Turbo Man at the end. Yes. And can literally fly, like suddenly it's. Just, I mean the movie never existed in the real world, but it, having a mailman chase you around uh, to downtown Minneapolis, uh, it wasn't shot in downtown Minneapolis. It was shot in somewhere else, Chasco or something like that, okay. which we'll talk about in a little later. Um, that's a good pick too because that was shot in. Uh, but we'll get to it. Uh, but yeah, but Minnesota. Also, by the way, there is a suit that actually makes you a superhero. Yes. That he steals from a guy who was hired, probably from a local temp agency or an acting agency to play Turbo Man. Anyway, terrible film. Good, great pick. Great pick. <laughs> it's the cynicism that really gets me about that film, though. Yeah. Because they're trying to have their um, fruitcake and eat it, too, by saying, like, things are so commercial, so crazy. And yet, this is a, you know, 80, 75, 80 million dollar Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. It's yes. literally about a toy. Yes, so, exactly. Shame on you, Rita Wilson. You should know better. <laughs> um, but enough about that. This is the Craft Services show. On every episode, we look at a film that's poorly rated, generally lower than 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, but one that is well-remembered. Um, or I guess in the case of today's film, one that's hardly remembered at all. People seem to have forgotten, even though I think some people would claim that it has a cult status. I think that it does. Well, you're going to get a chance. You'll get your chance okay. <laughs> to put give your uh, version of the story. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to say that even though we use Rotten Tomatoes as a metric for films, we are not in the pocket of Big Tomato. We don't have any connection to Rotten Tomatoes. We don't really even endorse it. How do you feel about Rotten Tomatoes? Do you use it personally? Um, I mean, clearly, um, you've used it to rate films for selection on your show. It's a good meter to go by. I, I don't live and die by by it though i mean what do you think about the difference between the the very um often uh, seen difference between the audience rating and the critics rating like they almost tend to be inversely proportional to each other yeah the critics are really low the audience is really high yeah. and often vice versa um that just goes to show that it's it, you have to go by your own opinion you can you can take a critic's opinion and kind of go off of that, like whether you think you would like the film or not. Right. But you have to go and see the film yourself. Right. To really know if you'd like the film. Yeah. Opinions are uh, like assholes and so are critics. Yeah. I think the old saying goes. Exactly. Uh, well, for today's film, we're talking about 1999's Drop Dead Gorgeous, which is at 44% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's at 28 on Metacritic. I always say 28 Instead of 28%, it's out of 100, but it seems like it's, which I mean, technically, I mean, anything that's out of 100 is a percentage, but it just seems right. like a score and not like a percentage to me. Anyway, whatever. Okay, and it's 6.6 uh, sure. on IMDb. Uh, were you surprised to hear that this was 44% on Rotten Tomatoes? Yes and no, because I understand that this film is not exactly popular. <laughs> In, in many circles. Uh, really? Well, I've, I've heard it's a cult film. It is a cult film, but um, that doesn't necessarily mean e equal popular, I feel like. Yeah. 
um, it, it's popular within its certain circles. Well, it's certainly not popular with the people who made it, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And it's not popular with, um, I don't know, Hollywood, um, the actual people that produced it, uh, or any kind of home video or distribution kind of thing. This is not on iTunes. No. It's not on Amazon. No. You can't stream it anywhere. The DVD is out of print. Um, I think at one point I saw a listing for the DVD um, like through a third party on Amazon at being like around 60 bucks. Yeah. So if I hope that you've seen this show, uh, this uh, movie, listeners, if you're listening to this podcast, if you haven't, I don't know how you're gonna. Yeah. Tell you That's what, I'll true. mail you my copy. Send me your address. And, you can have <laughs> uh, and we watched this on a first run DVD from 1999. And yep. this is emblematic of the era it's got you'll recognize this sound hear that yeah the popper yeah it's a paper case dvd just like in the old days there you go uh and here it's got it's the movies you love the features you want they're still selling dvd at this point trying to convince you to get one and and get uh, (laughs) give your vcr uh, tv combo a rest and the here are the special features it has widescreen and full screen version of the film Remember that? Yeah. Remember when they had that? Yes. I Unlike do. my um, original uh, Blade Runner director's cut DVD from 1997, though, uh, they've found a way now, this must be a dual layer, to put both versions on one side. You don't have to flip it over. That's true. And the tiny little writing that says whether it's well, widescreen or full screen. Or sometimes they'd be like, um, the inside ribbon would be blue or red, and you have to, like, so, which is, that was the uh, USB uh, debate of our time. Like, sure. Is this the full screen, or which one has the most fingerprints on it? That's the one I probably touched the most. <laughs> it's also got the uh, original, oop, part of it just fell out. <laughs> part of it just fell out. <laughs> oh, no. I think these are the proofs of, proofs of purchase, uh, as if you would never need to prove to anybody that you purchased this. Uh, and then it's also got the original theatrical trailer and cast and crew filmographies because apparently uh, IMDb wasn't really a thing back then either. Oh, wow. Existed, but probably wasn't quite as popular as it is now. There, I think I put the whole thing back together. <laughs> I wouldn't want to lose any evidence that this was purchased. No. Um, so, yeah, that's rough. Uh, that's real rough. Um, it is really rough. And it's weird because, uh, as we'll get to this in a lot of ways, I wouldn't say that this specifically launched any careers. I think many of the people involved would thank their lucky stars that they have a career after having been in this. Oh, boy. But any press is good press. Any start is a good start in some way, right? Yes. And so a lot of uh, actors, this was, you know, something early high up on their or low down, maybe, if you're looking uh, chronologically backwards, on their resume. Yeah. And they probably wouldn't be around without it. Yeah. So for that reason, you'd think, okay, so I bought, um, I'm a streaming company or I'm Apple or I'm in charge of the uh, distribution rights digitally for the former New Line home video. Remember? Uh New Line. I think this might be the second show in a row we're doing a New Line (laughs) movie. Uh, That's a name that you're going to hear a lot on this show. I think all told, probably 75% of our films are going to be New Line films. Uh, So Why do you think that is? Because New Line... It's new, man. It's new line. It took a lot of risks. It did take a lot of risks. Yeah. But remember, the 90s was like, and also the 80s, but that's a, you know, Wild West, shooting them up, loose cannon. Let's make a lot of films. You know, let's not, we haven't um, necessarily landed on, uh, oh, it's they're all Westerns or they're all going to be um, Kramer versus Kramer, you know, uh, right. American dramas. A lot of things got tried and New Line was at the front of that. Um, and eventually, you know, that's what kind of killed them. 
So, see <laughs> Island of Dr. Moreau show. Uh, yeah, but anyway, you think that somebody would want to watch this. Like, you have a, yeah. w- which we'll talk about in a second, you have a desire, you know, a, a nostalgic love for it. I do. And it would probably drop a buck ninety nine to watch it on iTunes. Absolutely. Well, maybe this show can help get that movement going. We'll that would see. be great. Anyway, uh, it r- clocks in at a fairly brisk 98 minutes. Uh, it was released originally on July 23rd, 1999. And it was directed by Michael, pa- Michael Patrick Jean, or John. Uh, and it was also written by Lona Williams. Uh, the box office was about ten and a half million on a budget of around the same. Uh, it's estimated to be ten to fifteen million. So this is a real, you know, this is a small movie. Yeah. And I think um, it was debated whether it would be. This is one of the things I think that helped kill the film is that it was debated whether it would should be treated like an indie release, which yes. clearly it should have. Yeah. Um, or a you know big a, a big film a major studio film. Right. And I think when the original um, screenings and sort of early reports came back negative, um, New Line kind of backed off of it in terms of promotion. And so it didn't really get any support from New Line because they didn't want to catch a brick. Sure. Uh, Whereas you could have just shopped this around as a sort of dark indie comedy, which is, that's exactly what it is. That's what it is. And it might have done a little better. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see this in the theater? Um, that is an excellent question. I don't think I did. Yeah. Um, I think I saw it on TV, and actually, oh, okay. the first time I saw it, I didn't really like it that much. <laughs> oh, save it. Um, We're getting there. <laughs> so, yeah. Wh- it it took a couple of viewings. But you like it now? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Before I had developed Stockholm Syndrome. Um, so why? So you like it now, I assume. Yes. Why this movie? Why did you do this to us? Um. Because I I I love this movie. It's like the little movie that could. It's okay. um, it's super dark and it's satire. Um, <laughs> and it has something to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would agree that it's uh, pretty dark, uh, and it really. I got to give it to the movie for this. It really doesn't. There isn't any. Um, reversal of that or it's not they've got like the one character who is clearly doesn't deserve this um right amber yeah amber atkins um you know she's better than all this but even her sort of dream you know of you know succeeding in the beauty pageant or whatever uh it just turns out turns out to be a lie yeah there's the very in the last two minutes she kind of gets what she wanted which was not necessarily to be Diane Sawyer, but at least to sort of move forward in that world. Yeah. And so that's the one kind of... Because whenever a movie kind of tries to give you like a happy ending or a bright spot, um, it's disingenuous. And this movie does commit fully to the fact that this all kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like everybody's lying. Uh, the judge is a pedophile. Uh, like everything is terrible. Right. Um, except for the one girl who really loves her gay brother. And then Amber is not really touched by the fact that the whole thing is a sham right oh boy uh full disclosure uh craft of services is recorded in minnesota where this film is set and so we're going to have a lot of opinions directly related to the depiction of minnesota uh, also how you say the word minnesota um <laughs> one of the things that i think i that i originally disliked about this film and i hate this film like, I just straight up don't like it. And we can talk about why I don't a little later, too. Is that 
it came at this time where it was real popular, especially post Fargo, which was 95, 96. Something like that. The guy that knows that um, the, 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 the wanting to depict the Midwest as like cow country, as flyover country. You know what I mean? Uh huh. And this is set in a fictional um, su- suburb of uh, the Twin Cities called Mount Rose, but it's based solely, like, exactly on a suburb called Rosemount. Wow. Yeah. That's exactly. an anagram, I guess. Uh, Jeremy's Iron? <laughs> uh, which is not, I mean, yeah, okay, there are parts, it's like any state, you know, with a big city and then a lot of country, like, there are parts that are rural, but if you go to Minneapolis and St. Paul, you're going to see black people, which you don't see at all in this film. You're going to see yeah. tattoos and piercings and all kinds of weird liberal ideas. And so, you know, this, they want to kind of have both ways because it's like, oh, wow, we love bars and all this stuff. But they're also going to the Mall of America, which is like five, four or five miles outside of the Twin Cities. And so exactly, they got to sort of cast a balance. And I think they went way to the left of, oh, gosh, gee, you know, oh, Lutefisk. Oh, oh. yeah, they did lean on that pretty hard. Yeah. Um, and... Not everybody from here talks like that. No. Let's let's be honest. No. They they clear speaking of no. They they clearly got uh sometimes the accents would kind of go in and out and waver. Dunst is probably I think the best. I think she works the hardest and she's from like Jersey or something like that, right? Like Some, yeah. Only once you get down the bill to like the 5th or 6th build people <clears throat> except for Amy Adams um who lived here for a while. Um nobody's, you know, from Minnesota. So like down to Barkin, you know, and Janny, they're all from all over the place. They're Hollywood actors. And then, you know, the rest of the people are cast locally, mostly. In fact, yes. I know a couple people that were in this film. We can talk about that in a bit. So, yeah, that's fine. But Dunst does pretty good. But it was clear that the uh, dialect or the voice coach was like, yeah, any any word that has a <laughs> consonant and then the vowel O is going to be go, go. Or like, no, no. <laughs> it's like uh, the mom from Bobby's World. There's a reference yes, for you. Exactly. Look that one up. Um, I Like I said, I hate this movie. But I will say, watching it again this time, I think we finally, like, this is the scene at the end where I nod to the movie. The movie nods back. <laughs> we go our separate ways with respect. Because I can't fault it technically. It's a pretty well-made movie. Um, I think the documentary aspect is really solid yes. and it's, it's well thought out and it's the way that they shoot it all. And then they use like, oh, we've got a little, um, CCTV camera footage or something, or we got this from like a home video, like the, t- the stoners doing their rock band thing when the thing right. ex- blows up. Uh, and they cut a lot out of this to make it short. I think after, um, a lot of <laughs> responses were bad from the test audiences, they just started chopping things out. But, um, uh, Jan, uh, Michael Patrick Jan, who was the guy from the state that nobody remembers. <laughs> um, well, there's a couple of those, but he's the guy that nobody really remembers. I, he was like 26 when he directed this, and I think he yeah. did a pretty good job. He did. The only thing that my problem is, is like, who would watch this documentary? Why would anybody want to film this documentary? Why does it exist in the first place? I mean, you can look at The Office, and it's like, why are they filming this <laughs> this paper company for nine years? Right. Um, I think they're, they're filming it because, uh, this is a pageant and isn't that kind of neat and, yeah. um, 
But somebody like whoever the filmmaker was, and I think Thomas Lennon is uh, does some voiceover, I guess, um, from a documentary perspective. Okay, that's what the credits say. I don't remember his voice at all. Um, so yeah, like maybe if they had delved in a little more, made it a little more meta. And maybe we see the guy because some of my favorite parts are when we see the camera crews like there's this running joke about how sure. like, are we on cops? Are we on cops? What, was cops ever shot in the Twin Cities? I don't remember. I have feel no like idea. that would have been a big deal. But anyway, fi- and then finally the cops crew finally shows up. And so they're filming the thing. And then the their crew sees the, our crew and they're like, hey, what's going on? Hey, Fred, how you doing? <laughs> I thought that was really funny. <laughs> um, but if there was some other like thread and like this movie needs any more threads um, where we see Tom Lennon as the guy who's producing the documentary, you know, having to sort of change the story on the fly. Because apparently they just wanted to shoot a small town pageant and they right. f- find a conspiracy, like a murder mystery. Yeah. Um, it may, or, or what about this little headcan anything? Maybe if there was some kind of indication that the doc was funded by Sarah Rose Cosmetics as like a positive publicity piece. Because sure. it opens... With that, um, that's the one thing that kind of breaks the documentary because it opens with the Adam West hosted commercial. Yes. Uh, which is on the TV, but I guess they maybe included the footage in the documentary as well. But so that there's that part. So if the whole thing was like, you know, we're not doing very well, there's the IRS is like at the door. So let's fund this documentary where we show how, you know, wonderful it is that young girls get to like compete for a $75 Votech scholarship. <laughs> no, I agree. That would have made a lot more sense. Or it could be an, an investigative doc uh, where they're like vice.com is like knows that the IRS is, you know, banging on the door of Sarah Rose. So they're going to like show like how the, the how edifice corrupt. is rotten from the bottom up. <laughs> but none of that's there. No. Uh, the movie was originally going to be called Dairy Queens. Yeah. And I think Dairy Queen sued... Or... Yeah, Dairy Queen did not want to be connected to this. No. Nobody did. <laughs> um, which, I don't think it's a better title. No. I think it's more, that's like a first pass. Yeah, I think You're so like, too. Oh, small town, every small town's got a Dairy Queen. Sure, they're queens. It's, well, it's all right. Yeah. Um, what do you think about what they came up with? Um, I, I think they came up with, um, what they came up with was, was pretty solid. Um. Drop Dead Gorgeous is, I mean, it kind of hints at the dark, seedy satire um, yeah, uh, as well as being about beauty. Yeah. So I think it works. I'm sitting here while you're talking, trying to think of a new, a better a title. A better title? Yeah. Um, for best in show, done, been done. <laughs> <laughs> a mighty wind. Wait a minute. Uh, I got something to say about Christopher Guest in a little bit. Can you summarize the plot of the movie briefly? Sure. Take less than 98 minutes. I will do my best. Um, so basically the, it's, it takes place in a small town in Minnesota and there are all these contestants. They, one by one, they realize that there's some sort of threat some of them kind of end up getting picked off uh, in various ways. Kirsten Dunst is not sure she wants to continue with the pageant, but she decides to persevere and go on. Yeah, that was pretty succinct. Um, the writer, Lana Williams, is a Minnesota native. She grew up in Rosemount, Minnesota. Uh-huh. Um, I had a girlfriend that lived in Rosemount. Okay. Um, and she is kind of like Diablo Cody without the stripping. 
she, no, actually, um, she she grew up in Rosemount and she did participate in beauty pageants. Like she was a beauty pa- pageant contestant. Okay. And so this is all based in her own experiences. In fact, she won a um, like a ten thousand dollar scholarship um, oh, wow. based on um, winning or placing in the um, America's Junior Miss pageant or something like that. Uh, and she used it to go to the U of M. That's fantastic. Yeah, which back in 1985, you could probably get pretty near to a degree completed on $10,000. <laughs> Not now. Uh, and so she wrote this based on her experiences uh, and then eventually um, moved out to uh, L.A. and uh, did a little work on The Simpsons. Um, she actually, do you remember, so high school films are really popular in the 90s. Yes. I mean, I guess they probably still are, but we had Clueless and uh, Jawbreaker and She's All That and... Yes. Uh, a bunch of other films. And she actually wrote uh, Sugar and Spice, which came out in 2001. Yes. That was the uh, cheerleader bank robber one, which honestly, just that's just a get Amy Adams back. And it's just a sequel to to this. <laughs> to right. This? Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. But of course, that movie wasn't very good. And I think they also got hurt by um, the Columbine shooting that happened uh, in between the yeah. release of this film and that film. So and she actually was so disappointed with how much they changed that film that she took her name off Well, of it. good, because <laughs> it's not very good, and it probably won't ever appear on this uh, thing, uh, this show. And she was also a uh, writer and producer on The Drew Carey Show. Okay. And that's about it. She's been pretty quiet uh, recently. I haven't seen a lot from her. But, yeah, um, it's a real thing, like this whole beauty pageant thing. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who was actually competed in either the America's Junior Miss or uh, Miss Teen Minnesota. Okay. And I think she was one of the top finalists. I can't really remember. And I actually have a friend now whose daughter is doing uh, Miss Teen. Oh, wow. uh, In another state, uh, which I won't disclose. But yeah, so I mean, this is a real thing. And that opening scene where Kirstie Alley's playing the, she's got um, her friends there. um, Yeah. And Mindy Sterling, and she's playing the, uh, the tape for everybody and there's like nine yes. people in the audience like that's a real thing <laughs> at the uh at the regional level uh th- there's not a lot of uh filters and i'm not saying and we can talk a little bit later about whether people should be doing these or not what you think about pageants but there's not really any barred entry so if you just go i play the vi- uh, violin like a like an angel and i want to be in a beauty and i'm blonde and i'm going to be in a beauty pageant then you can sure uh like gretchen carlson Yes. The winner of Miss America from 1989, who was from Minneapolis, from Minnesota. Williams also plays the judge, the third judge, the female one. Yes. Who doesn't talk at all. That's her. Yes. And there's an article somewhere online. I don't know. There's not a lot about this film online. You'll probably find it in the first Google search result. But she actually wrote the candy striper role for herself. Yes. But like the producers thought that she shouldn't do it. They said that she was too old to play. Oh, that's right. She was too old. And she's like, what? You Like, have you seen nurses? And why am I too old for this? Right. So anyway, yeah. So she got this role instead, which was a non-speaking role. While writing on Simpsons, Lona Williams actually contributed a voice to an episode called Lisa the Beauty Queen. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. She was Amber Dempsey. So Amber, clearly, (laughs) clearly a touchstone for her. Uh, if you, <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I mean, if you grew up in Minnesota in the 80s and 90s, Amber would be a touchstone for you. So yeah. that's, there's a lot of, a lot of Ambers, a lot of Lisas. Yes. A uh, couple Gingers. Um, Some Jennifers. Yeah. 
So, well, Jennifer's everywhere. Uh, and Michael Patrick John, the director, um, this is his only feature, uh, which that's not to say that he is not a success, though, because he went on to direct a lot, a lot of TV. He produced and directed, I think, quite a few of the episodes of Reno 911. Okay. Um, he's worked on Community, Suburgatory, Flight of the Concords, uh, Happy Endings, Children's Hospital. So, okay. Yeah. Sure. He's, he's doing fine. Doing fine. Um, let's talk about the cast. Okay. Let's. Because this is really a movie that has only its cast to fall back on. Yeah. Um, you know, all the cast, the characters, the actors are all really on display and the kind of uh, heart of this thing. Um, like we said before, the movie tanked, but it was a stepping stone, I think, in a way, for some future stars. Um, Kirsten Dunst has a really big role in this film. Yes. Kirsten Dunst was coming off of being a child star, and um, she. this was before Spider-Man. Um, this is before Bring It On. So. Oh, Bring It On. I forgot. That's another popular. Yeah. Well, I think that's 2000. Yeah. So High school movies. This is kind of um, a good stepping stone for her into being more of an adult. I think I read either the director or the producer. Somebody just said that she was a good pick because having been a child actress, um, she was comfortable. You know what I mean? Yeah. So she was able to play... <laughs> like she'd kind of seen, you know, she was used to the industry. She'd kind of seen it all. So that like allowed her to play a character that was kind of like untouched by, you know, all the pageantry, so to speak, surrounding this pageant. Like, right. Because her character is very sort of straightforward and sort of like, yeah, it's, you know, whatever. Until, of course, she gets in a cat fight with <laughs> Denise Richards. <laughs> yes. Which I thought was a weird scene. The whole time she's just like, yeah, I don't really care about this. It's fine. You know, I just want to tap. And and then she, she bitch, you took my dress. And yes. Like that just happens and then it goes away. Yeah, I know. Um, I mean, is she it, kind of is snippy towards her like, yeah, afterwards. I felt like but. it didn't really build enough to justify it. I could see that. I mean, it's a pageant. she's so laid back. Yeah, it's a pageant movie. So you definitely have to have a cat fight scene. Yeah. Um, but I guess there wasn't anybody else that you, the other characters weren't really built up, uh, up enough. It's pretty much like Denise Richards and, and, and uh, Kirsten Dunst's movie. Yeah, it's true. Miss Congeniality <clears throat> came out the next year. Yeah. Also was a critical failure, but much more of a commercial success. Are these, was that just a time where we were just gunning for beauty pageants for I some reason? I guess so. <laughs> We just wanted to see beauty pageants and movies. And of course, um, they I bet they wish they thought of the Adam West thing, so they got Shatner instead. Yes. But pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to either Adam West or William Shatner. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, Goldie Hawn was originally sought for the Ellen Barkin role. I have heard that. And Sigourney Weaver was sought for the Kirstie Alley role. Yes. Totally different movie. Yeah. Totally different. Yeah. Um, it's hard for me to imagine this movie with those actresses. Which is not to say that either of the actresses in the film did a bad job. I don't think they did. But I think it would have sold a lot more the st totally straight-faced, um, dark satire film rather than, oh, you know, let's get some bars and that kind of thing, which is like what Allie really brought to it. I think she was really going for it. Um, uh, and was just completely, you know, outsized and ridiculous. And if you read some of the 
very few sort of uh, analyses or like lookbacks of this film, you'll see that the director and the writer had totally different ideas about what they wanted. And that caused a lot of pull and tension. And I can't remember at this point which one wanted what. But yeah, I mean, in between Goldie Hawn and I think Sigourney Weaver would have killed this. Yeah, uh, she so would to speak. have. <laughs> it would have been great. She would have. Well, apparently Christy Alley didn't want, uh, she refused to have a dialect coach on set. <laughs> that explains a lot. Yeah. That explains a lot. So, uh, and she was a bit of a diva. I believe it. So. Uh, apparently, you know, she was still, she might still be, but, you know, it was a, Scientology was big for her back then. Yeah. So that uh, had a lot to do with some of the decisions that she made, I guess. Well, she had, uh, she refused to do any of the fittings like on set and had <laughs> her clothes sent through some Scientology thing or whatever. Okay. So, and tried them on that way. Um, yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Um, yeah. Once you get rid of some of those thetans, then uh, you can fit into that size nine or whatever it is. <laughs> Is that how it works? It wasn't a shot. It's just just guessing. Uh, I don't know anything about dress sizes. So yeah, uh, Kirsten Dunst and Alan Barkin uh, play Amber and Annette, daughter and mother in this. Uh, like we said, Denise Richards plays Rebecca Becky uh, Ann yes. Lehman, who is uh, Miss Perfect, the girl you love to hate. Yeah. Uh, also president of the gun club. The Lutheran gun club. The Lutheran gun club. <laughs> that's, a, that's a joke. Uh, <laughs> I know. The, yeah, that's another thing about the uh, humor. Um, I don't know if it was stripped out or just not really full of it, but the place-specific humor is okay. I think they could have gone a lot farther. I think if you watch Fargo, you get a lot more um, sort of bits that come from the setting. Whereas, like, this is my third time mentioning bars, but we've got bars. Right. Um, they almost run over the Catholic priest in the minivan, and they're like, oh, boy, oh, glug, 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 yeah. uh, which is something that a Lutheran would say about <laughs> about a Catholic priest. Not a ton of Catholics here, but there's some. Um, but otherwise, I mean, I thought they could have done a little better. Um, we got some trailer parks, but, like, not a lot. And that's, that's another yeah. com- com- uh, complaint that I have, which is like, oh, these idiots that live in the Midwest with trailer parks and stuff, it's like... Not, not not here. Not a whole lot. No, not really. No. You see it in Florida. Or we're going to the Mall of America. Yeah. That wasn't the Mall of America. No, it wasn't. Now, why didn't they shoot at the Mall of America? I don't know. Too expensive? Couldn't get the rights? Well, here's why. Because the scene is they're in the parking lot, and she thinks of what the theme is going to be. America. But it's it's been America every year. Yeah. I guess that's a funny joke. Yeah. And so there, she's standing in a parking lot, but the Mall of America has parking garages. It's got like a seven-level parking garage, so it's just not as good a scene or tableau or, or backdrop, I guess. So they shot that in the parking lot of the Eden Prairie Mall. Okay. Which is the same place that they shot Mall Rats. Gotcha. Yeah. Maybe it's just a very photogenic <laughs> uh, mall. Yeah, yeah. It's the most beautiful. That that's it. Yeah, it's the Guinness Book of World Records, the most beautiful uh, parking lot, uh, <laughs> mall parking lot in America. So that's cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, so moving on. Uh, so I heard that in the casting of this, one of the things that they were looking for was like, you know, natural looking girls. Um, the writer wanted to cast unknowns. Right. Again, I'm glad that she's found some success in Hollywood and went on to other stuff. But reading about her, she had completely unrealistic uh, assumptions about what a major Hollywood studio was going to allow her to do for this film. Right. And she wanted to cast unknowns. Again, would have worked for an indie. No problem. 
uh, because she didn't want like Hollywood actresses to come in. And she focused specifically on the eyebrows because everybody was going to have like these sort of shaped eyebrows and she wanted like Midwestern faces like not totally worked over. Yes. And that's why that's why they got Amy Adams <laughs> who, who debuted in this film this is her first film. Yes. Uh, Oscar winner uh, Amy Adams. Uh, and looking at her I don't think about her eyebrows. No. All I do is I look at her and go she does not belong in this film. Like yeah. she's probably you know 19 or 20 or something like that. Maybe a little older, and she totally stands out. She should absolutely be in bigger films doing other things. But but the, but those eyebrows though, she's got eyebrows. Did she got eyebrows? Did you notice any eyebrows in this film? Uh, I didn't notice any eyebrows. I didn't go, hey, look at those eyebrows. Well, that's because Fol- we replaced Folger's eyebrows with the regular eyebrows, and uh, nobody noticed. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, apparently that was a big deal uh, for somebody in this film. Well, it's kind of silly. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so anyway, yeah, Amy Adams got out alive. Um, she was actually living in Minnesota at the time and doing uh, regional theater, dinner theater. Yes. So I guess on a break from that, she auditioned for this. And then that was that. I think she moved to L.A. like after the premiere, like the premiere was in L.A. And I think she just stayed there, <laughs> just like didn't go home. Well, that was a smart move on her part. It worked out. Yeah. I mean, after a while. Yeah. Didn't immediately work out. That's OK, though. It is okay. It is okay because it's worked out now. Yeah. Um, fun fact: If you watch uh, Stephen Tobolowsky's birthday party, which I think was shot in like '07 or so, okay, um, there are a bunch of guests at his birthday party as he's telling stories, and one of the people in the uh, audience, one of his guests, hearing his stories, is Amy Adams, <laughs> a pre-fame Amy Adams. Nice. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, she's in this. Um, there's uh, Brittany Murphy, of course. Yes. Who had already been in Clueless um, and I think was kind of like weird friend in high school movies. That was going to be her. Her, her lot shtick. in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Until the ramen girl broke her career wide open. <laughs> and took her to the moon. Noodles everywhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> noodles everywhere. Uh, and then there's a couple other people in this movie. Um, some of these names are character actors that you may recognize. Some of them are people you'll never recognize because uh, a lot happened, really. Uh, Matt Malloy plays the pedophile judge. Yeah. In a bit that that never really goes anywhere. No. Um, as far as I can tell. Uh, Michael McShane, character actor, uh, plays the owner of the hardware store and also the second judge. Uh, and his son is played by Will Sasso. Yeah. Now, in between Will Sasso's performance, which is just sort of what it is, and a director who's you know used to doing comedy and doesn't know sometimes comedy is subtle, and they'll bring it back a little bit, how many times is the R word used in this film? Is it 14 oh, or is it 15? I've lost count. Yeah. This is sort of like... Um, pre-sensitivity as far as that goes yeah it's not super sensitive towards that no um and like not super sensitive in the portrayal either yeah not not really i guess that goes without saying i mean yeah again it's like it's comedic it nothing is really said in either way but i mean yeah it's not (laughs) This is not a realistic no. portrayal. This is not a, uh, you know, riding the bus with my sister type. N- no. <laughs> Don't. Yeah, terrible. Uh, also, here's something else that's fun. Um, Molly uh, is adopted, <laughs> and her parents are Japanese. Yeah. 
played by Richard Narita and Patty uh, Yasutaki, who are um, they're character actors. You can see them around. Sure. Is this the, like the last gasp of the like, the long duck dong sort of exploitation character? I feel like you don't see this a lot yeah. going forward into the aughts. No, you don't. You just just got under the wire, got away with this. Yeah. I mean, they're not in the film for long. It's they don't hit it really hard, but they are defined solely by the fact that they like taking pictures of things. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That they're Japanese. And they like noodles. And they're stereotypically <laughs> Japanese. Yeah. And they uh, want to be stereotypically American. Yeah. Which is, I think there's a hook there, but then they're like, oh, 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 oh my yeah. God, really? Yeah. It's and, pretty bad. Yeah. And then we don't even, that character, nothing really happens with that character. No. Like, she's not really around all that much, so. There's not a completion of an arc. No. By any means. No. And that's true of all the uh, girls, I think, that aren't Brittany Murphy uh, or Spider-Man girl or yeah. uh, James Bond girl. Yeah. Um, I would say, though, that I liked the character of, of Tina, uh, who was like the older sister of, uh, what's her name? Of like, Molly? Yeah. She was like their uh, um, biological daughter. Yes. So she was like, you know, biologically Japanese. Yes. But why does she want to speak Japanese as well? I, I don't know. Like there's a whole movie there in between the adopted girl who's like white that they sort of fetishize because they want to be like, you know, white Americans. And then the sort of gothy, left to her own devices, like Japanese girl, who, like a lot of Japanese teenagers, maybe they moved over here a couple of years ago, but like probably speaks full English and likes rock and roll and everything herself. But she's like, why is Whitey so great here? <laughs> like, right. What's up with, yeah. Nah, didn't touch on that at all. No, she's it She's in the background of like two scenes. Too bad. And apparently... That was a concession for the international. Um, oh yeah, because we got a new lines reaching out. Yeah, she's like <laughs> this a, is like the Iron Man landing in China scene. Yeah. Okay, I see. She's like a Japanese <laughs> like pop star. Oh really? Yeah. Oh okay. Oh that's so interesting. All right, so the uh, the actress's name is um, Seiko Matsuda. Yeah. Um, and I think I was looking at her IMDb page. She was in a live action version of Grave of the Fireflies called Tombstone of the Fireflies. <gasps> Did you know they made a live action no, Grave of the Fireflies? No, that's terrifying. Do you think it's as depressing as the comic uh, one is or the uh, animated one is? Probably. <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait. Let's watch that and split our wrists together. Oh. Wow. That's fantastic. I love that. Uh, what else? Uh, Nora Dunn and Mo Gaffney, uh, veteran funny ladies, are in this as the state pageant runners. Um, speaking of veteran funny ladies, uh, I mentioned before that Mindy Sterling is in this as yeah. Iris Clark, probably known best as Frau Farbisna. Yes. Send the clouds! Yeah. Her. <laughs> yes. um, gets no time to do anything. No. Doesn't even get like, all right, all right, funny lady, here's your one scene where you just get to go nuts. Whereas Will Sasso gets like three of them <laughs> and she gets to do nothing. Yeah, that's true. It's very disappointing. That's true. A lot of missed opportunities in this. And then, I don't know, the rest of the, we won't go into detail on the rest of the girls or the contestants, but a lot of them are um, local girls uh, who themselves, this was kind of their big break. Yeah. And a lot of them are uh, still working today, you know, doing uh, TV here and there, maybe a feature, one or two. So, you know, it's um, like a former beauty pageant uh, winner, uh, you know, life doesn't end there. That's right. Uh, unless you're Becky. Uh, and so <laughs> you have to sort of grind it out. But yeah, a lot of them still still doing it, still working actors today. So that's cool. I want to mention real fast that um, two friends of mine, uh, or at least people I know, 
are in this film, uh, veteran uh, actors themselves. Uh, Claudia Wilkins plays Iona Hildebrandt. Uh, she was the one that won it in 1945. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. And she talks about like, oh, we got to do this. And um, she had to donate her crown <laughs> because for scrap. For scrap. <laughs> for the war effort. Yes. <laughs> Which is funny. Uh, and her husband, uh, Richard Ooms, uh, plays the uh, minister at the end. Oh, okay. Uh, at the funeral uh, for Becky. Yeah. So they're, uh, they're a couple. They're uh, long, long-time actors uh, from the area. And anytime there's a film here... Um, like when they did the Coen Brothers movie. Well, actually, any of the Coen Brothers movies they've done here. Um, you can probably find them in. So a little shout out to them. That's awesome. Um, do you have anything else to say about the location where it was shot? And um, by where, I mean, they might have done some pickups. Actually, no. $10 million, They didn't do any pickups at all. $10 million. Uh, the, it was all shot in Minnesota. Like the entire thing, basically. Right. Um, and nothing is really what it's supposed to be. I think at one part, Amy Adams is standing in front of like a beauty parlor in Chaska. That might actually be a beauty parlor in Chaska. <laughs> but otherwise, uh, Mount Rose is not real. Um, the main street, and I was trying to place it in that last scene in the parade. They're on a yes. main street. And I was like, what main street is that? It's Waconia. Oh. Which is a southwest suburb of the Twin Cities that I know that I've marched in. Uh, for marching band. <laughs> it's like uh, main streets I've known. Uh, there <laughs> like you I go. Can, I can name any main street. If it's Belle Plaine or Laconia, <laughs> I can do it. Uh, a lot of the film was filmed um, in Jordan. Um, a lot of the exteriors for the um, funeral parlor were in Jordan, which is a town that's right next okay. to my hometown where I grew up. Um, but otherwise, there's like, uh, I mean, they mentioned the ball of twine. There's a picture yes. of a or a couple shots clearly they just sent a crew out in a Toyota Tercel and just went just shoot some stuff so they shot like the giant cow statue which I don't even know where that is now um, but otherwise anything that you re- recognized from it um no not really I didn't recognize much of anything from it that's not the airport Sheraton that they go to the, I'll tell the, you that the Hojo uh, or the Hojo yeah yeah <laughs> um they um I think the last scene at the end was shot in downtown St. Paul. Okay. And they just put up like a big SG, you know, for the Sarah. Sarah Rose. Or SR for Sarah Rose, yeah. Uh, But otherwise, yeah. Um, So high school movies. Yes. Especially in the 90s. Yes. What's going on with that? Um, Leading to, ooh, even serious ones like, oh. Oh. Oh, what? Oh. Oh. Oh, it's such a terrible movie. Oh, you, oh, oh. you mean oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So hot. <laughs> Save the last dance. Yes. <laughs> what? Why did we all want to suddenly... What, what? Want, like, serious, like, high school movies? Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. These kids, they know what's going on. This white girl's going to learn to dance. That's right. We got to watch this. <laughs> so like this got caught up in that kind of yeah well not kind of it did because well <laughs> yeah, i don't know this is part where we usually talk about good stuff and bad stuff but they're all gonna be mixed together that's right uh, like a twist cone from the from the uh hardy's down <laughs> on main street in your one stoplight <laughs> town in minnesota um yeah I, I, this this is going in so many different directions um, I think 
if it was going to be a very like dark and like cracker dry um, documentary about pageants in the vein of like a Bob Roberts or something like that. Sure. That'd be fine. If it was going to be a full on ridiculous, you know, people are one of the girls spontaneously combusts. Like it's just not grounded in any kind of reality. Uh, backstage at a um, beauty pageant, like a noises off type thing. Right. That would work too. If it was a small town, like murder mystery type thing, we've seen movies like that. That might work too. Like a eerie PA or whatever. Sure. What's the What's the one that's like Macbeth in a diner? Oh boy. With the chick from uh, News Radio. I don't. But know. it's like all of those. And there's a gag where a lady gets blown up and a Michelob Golden Draft can gets fused to her hand. Yeah, that's true. Then that's a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> And it's such a real thing that apparently her arm is damaged bad enough that they have to amputate. Like, she gets a hook at the end of the movie. Yeah. And I'm like, I know it's supposed to be a joke and I know it's funny, but why wouldn't they just immediately amputate it? If your world already is completely ridiculous, why isn't this just her handicap going forward that she's got an MGD can? (laughs) Uh, Fused to her hand for the rest of her life. That's a good question. Um I I don't know. It's like they wanted to put some of the reality in with the ridiculousness. <laughs> yeah, but we don't need that. I know. Reality. Yeah, that's great. Ridiculous is a school cafeteria serves lutefisk. No, they don't. No, they don't. No, they don't. Uh-uh. Uh, but yeah, but, but and reality is uh, <laughs> like in the middle of a of a uh, standoff uh, with a sniper like a news reporter is shot. I know. Dead, apparently. Apparently. <laughs> and then Becky, or Amber just jumps down and now she's the newscaster. I know. This is, we watched another film recently that uh, might end up on this show, so maybe I shouldn't say too much, but it also features a character in the midst of crisis just picking up a microphone and being like, I'm a newsman now, and let me tell you what's <laughs> happening inside Clamp's Tower. I'm talking about Gremlins too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Grandpa Munster. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, like, what, what, what do you think this movie does best? Like, if you had to strip some of the extraneous stuff out, what would you focus on? I would focus on the satire, um, and you know, really trying to get like that hometown feel yeah i think that they tried but they didn't there's no reality to it like it's not grounded enough um because you've got the guy who runs the hardware store i guess it's just an exterior of an har- of a hardware store and then his comically <laughs> like unbelievable um mentally damaged son or whatever and it's like what you know rednecks are dumb that's the joke i guess and you just can't believe that that for me it's just it's too it's either it's not it's either not elevated enough or too elevated yeah there are parts that are totally unbelievable and then there are parts that are kind of plausible i kind of like the idea like here's another movie this movie is like 14 movies all pit taped together to be one movie um like your hot dish Ooh. i didn't see any hot dish in this film no i saw jello casserole which i've probably eaten twice in my life plenty of bars but there's there's a, there's lunch there's a couple receptions uh there's a wake or whatever yes and there's never any hot dish this is true 
What's wrong with you? It's disappointing. What's wrong with you, Lana Williams? You never had any hot dish in your life? <laughs> um, but yeah, but it's like, here's another movie. A girl, um, let's say she wants to be a newscaster, fine, uh, works in a small town um, uh, funeral home, uh, you know, has dreams. And then like one by one, people that she knows and have, has connections to start showing up and she has to work on them. Like, yeah, that's a movie in itself. So that is someone true. after her, or somebody, are these just accidents, or something happening in town? Let's talk about that. So, we're spoiling things. Clearly, we already have. Uh, Kirstie Alley's killing everybody, even yeah. though the film kind of lamely tries to make us think that it's Becky. But I think it's clear, not even twenty minutes in, that Becky didn't have the brains to put something like that together. Right. And her mom's the real ambitious one. So it's like I don't know if they meant it to be a big twist, but it doesn't really work as a twist. But the people that are dying don't make any sense. So why did, and I'm going to call him Brad. I don't know his actual name. Doesn't matter. That's okay. But the football guy, why yeah. does he die? Is I don't that know. Was that just an accident or was that orchestrated by Kirstie Alley's character? That has always puzzled me because oh, it really? doesn't. So this, is, this is a conundrum that you've just taken with you. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> over the last 18 years. Because it's like, um, did she like hunt down and kill him while he was hunting? It's only there or to to get us to believe that Denise Richards is, is the killer. Because yeah. we see him blow off Denise Richards, then he talks to uh, Kirsten Dunst, yes. and then he ends up dead. Like, yes. in the next scene. Yes. So we're supposed to go, oh, she's she's killing people. Well, and we see her, like, polishing her gun. Yeah, they in a one-on-one, they, they ask her later, like, oh, did you know that so-and-so is dead? Right. Yeah. I mean, so, why would Kirsten Alley kill her? Or kill him? Um, maybe the daughter told her that... Oh, you think they're in on it together? Oh, he so-and-so blew me off. Oh, she went home and, <laughs> Brad... <laughs> she's like, oh, honey, it's okay. I'm going to kill Brad. Yeah. He's dead. That's the only thing I could think of. Well, while we're talking about it, the whole plot doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> so she kills, and let's give the movie its due. I think the movie is fairly sensitive... I mean, it's got one real sort of uh, white nighty kind of story about the girl with the gay brother or whatever. Yeah. Uh, which was fine. Uh, right. But it's clear that the movie, at least in that part, is like, it's cool to be gay. You know, come on, cow country, wake up or whatever. Right. But then they've got the girl that dies immediately at the beginning. Tammy. Tammy. whose <laughs> name is Tammy. And is clearly like, they make like a dildo joke yeah <laughs> you know uh I, fine fine I'm, I'm, I'm not making a value judgment it's kind of clear I, she dies right away so they don't get to continue to make like you know quote-unquote dyke jokes like throughout the rest of the movie i guess but she got blown up immediately she because kirstie alley figured this girl is so multi-talented she just seems like she's the best uh, competition for, yes. for Becky. Yes. None of the other girls pose any threat to Becky. No. Except for Amber, who's yeah. just really winning. And the light was supposed to hit Amber on the head, I guess, which is how the, the girl who knows sign language like becomes deaf or whatever. Yeah. But there should be like she should be narrowly like Inspector Clouseau, just like narrowly avoiding like assassination attempts all throughout the film. I agree. It might have been even better for us to be in on. 
and I don't know how it's a documentary now, but in on the fact that she's trying to kill her, you know, and she's like, like a Wiley e. Coyote and a, a Roadrunner type thing. Sure. Um, because, yeah, she makes one attempt to kill the only other girl who could ever stop her. You know, why not like yeah. stab it to death or something instead of just saying, well, you can't use a costume. I think it gets messy. Um, you know, <laughs> she's like, it's too like, hot. It's, After I drop the light on that girl, they're on to me. Because um, the cops are clearly like, oh, shit, no. After extensive investigation, like, they're never doing anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, don't forget the, the trailer park blows up, too, <laughs> right. with her mom. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's, there's a couple different... That was bad, too, because was there something in the script where she was late to get home or something? Or she worked a double at the... Yeah, there's something where she uh, oh, got that's right. No, that's right. You know what? She does it to herself. The, uh, see, that's another thing I th- thought could have been emphasized. Kirstie Alley kind of does it to herself because she shoots, uh, we're guessing, um, the would-be boyfriend. Yes. So Amber has to you know, pull an extra shift or whatever to fix him up. Yeah. Make him look like he just came in off the snowmobile. Yeah. Uh, and then, so she's late getting home or she gets a call. That's true. Yeah, so... If she hadn't shot the boyfriend, then she would have been home in time to get blown up, I guess. I guess so. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And then she even, at the end, um, and she's not even trying to uh, sabotage Amber anymore, but she shoots the <laughs> the newscaster, which gives Amber her break. To... Yeah, it's true. So she wants Kirstie Alley out in the world, because as long as Kirstie Alley is like pulling schemes, it just helps her life. She just moves up and up and up. I'm surprised they didn't show like Kirstie Alley like poisoning the, the shellfish or whatever that everybody ate. <laughs> just beauty queens puking all over the place. <laughs> that's kind of fun. But that's another one of those like, let's just show maybe we're doing kind of a bulimia joke, although we're not very sensitive about anorexia. Like, no, this we're not. This movie goes after. Look Everything. at this stupid girl's anorexic. dumb. It doesn't indict the culture that would lead a girl to think it's a good idea to be anorexic it just sort of makes fun of an anorexic no it's true which is sad it is sad that's punching down you're right and they're too weak to punch back see i can do it too (laughs) but it's not that great yeah i just thought that like i don't know just pick one of those things or like two of those things and go with that i will say though like i said before here we are crapping on it um i just don't like it for those reasons. I think the elements don't combine well enough to, for me, for me personally, to make it super entertaining. But, like I said, I think it's a well put together movie. Like, it's solid. There's nothing, you could have given people like Mindy some more time to play. You could have cut Will Sasso off a little bit. Um, there's other parts that could have been expanded or contracted, but I think it's a well put together film. And I think it's got a better hook than, say, a Christopher Guest documentary. Okay. Like Best in Show or whatever, because those are, you know, famously just let the camera run, which works like 5% of the time. Right. Maybe five. Ask Judd Apatow and look at Spinal Tap, you know, like the only like real solid like uh, thing in that vein. I know that was um, Rob Reiner, but um, but this has got a hook, though. This is that sort of thing. But also like we wanted to find out like who's killing all these people. Right. Except it's not really important because the entire second and like half of the third act are just the pageant. It's a long it's, pageant. It's a long pageant. 
And there's major re- revelations about the story that happened in like the last five minutes. Like, I want to see the movie where she's done. She's like won the whatever. Uh, she won state or whatever. Yes. Everybody else got sick. And then now Kirstie Alley has escaped and is on the run. And they're worried about whether she's going to show up and try to kill her. Yes. And then she gets her. Like, the climax of the film should be her getting to report on the thing, right? Yes. <laughs> that's all pushed to, to compressed into like a mid credit sequence, essentially. Yeah, you're right. It's too bad. Originally, uh, Kirstie Alley was supposed to die. I read that. She was going to hang herself in prison. And it's like, Which oh, is ha, ha, super oh, dark. Oh, 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 Cleveland rocks. You can yeah. see why she got her job on the Drew Carey show. What? <laughs> that's super dark. It's it's a little too dark, I think. Not as dark as Tombstone of the Fireflies, though. No. Any, no. Anything else you want to point out about this film? Um. Why do we track well, the? Sorry, I'll I'll help you out. Uh, the the pedophile thing goes nowhere. It's funny. He likes to to look at young ladies. It's Keeps creepy. Keeps calling them young girls. Yeah. And I mean, the actresses are all like twenty five, but you know, still. And it's he's like, creepy. Oh, I got a camera. <laughs> You've got a camera. Nobody's accusing you of anything. This bit still doesn't work. Yeah. And they keep going with it. They just keep going and keep going. I know. I like Matt Malloy. He's a funny like actor, character actor. He's in a lot of stuff. Yeah. But it just they gave him nothing to do. They didn't really give him much to do. Um I the okay, the Jesus scene. <laughs> that <laughs> continue um denise richards dances with jesus christ yeah and to the tune of it's too good you're it's too good to be true you can't take my eyes off of you. yeah i can't take my eyes off of you um it makes me laugh every time <laughs> it's super ridiculous i yeah and <laughs> That part when she like takes his arms off of a cross <laughs> and like puts them around her and then she carries him out too. <laughs> you know? It's like <laughs> it's just like every uh, time. It's not I and I didn't even laugh when I was watching it. Yeah. It's just one of those things that it comes well constructed. Like it comes at the right you need that right then at yes. that point in the film like it comes at the right time um i mean i'm not particularly offended but even when i was watching it i was like oh, this is real this I is really know. happening i know the only problem is that she, you know she can't sing at all i don't think she would denise richards is not like one of these actresses that has like a recording contract you know as well but her singing and dancing are terrible that's the joke, but it also makes there's not much that they can do with that scene. No, like she just sort of, if they had found like funnier, like the arms thing is funny, or like her carrying him out is funny, but like there's just yeah. nothing. <laughs> well, apparently, I really want to think it's funny because uh, I'm laughing a lot, but um, <laughs> it's not like the Kirsten Dunst scene where you can go, "All right, she's gonna do her dance now. Let's bring the dancing double in." Because that's yeah. not Kirsten Dunst. I know, <laughs> yeah. I know. Uh, it's good. It's fun. It's a yeah. fun scene. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, apparently, um, you know, a lot of the extras were, uh, you know, real people. Yeah. Uh, real Lutheran people. And like half of them walked out. 
Because <laughs> nobody had the script. They're just extra. Be in a movie, right? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, a lot of them were offended and left. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, yeah, all right. The question for you, speaking of the audience and all the people smoking in it, is there something that I don't remember about late 90s uh, Minnesota that everybody smoked? There was like... Well, it was before the ban on... Well, the Clean Indoor Air Act, actually, I think it did exist then, technically. Uh, Maybe it wasn't enforced quite as much, but like it's conspicuous smoking in this film. I know. And not just from, you know, what you'd expect, the trailer park characters. Uh... It's just like everybody's lighting up in this movie. I know. And they're in a high school. I know. (laughs) What are they? Is that another shot at at cow country or something? Uh, Maybe. (laughs) Uh, Well, speaking of smoking, we should probably talk about the person that we didn't even talk about yet. Uh, Allison Janney, of course. Yes. uh, Plays um, a character. Loretta. Remember Loretta? Thanks. Yeah. Uh, What do you think? You love her, of course you do. I love her. She's I, fantastic. Something that I will credit this movie with, um, that I thank it for, I'll probably never watch it again, but this time around I realized, okay, all right, I get why people like her, and I think I like her too. I have kind of famously not really liked Allison Janney. I guess I haven't really thought about what she does as a performer. She's just never been anything that I really like. Look, and I think about, like, well, the West Wing. Yeah, West Wing's fine. It's not, you know, it doesn't blow my hair back. Sure. Um... Juno. Yeah. I think we all hate Juno now. I just hated it first. <laughs> uh, you know, whatever, Masters of Sex or whatever. I know that she's done a lot of stuff, but I've just never really liked anything she's been in. I still don't like this, but she's the best part of the movie. She's She has For a ridiculous sure. character, yet she grounds it in bedrock. Do you know what I mean? Like, she is playing, she's, she's real. That's a real person. Yes. Who also is ridiculous. Um, no offense to Ellen Barkin, she does fine, but Ellen Barkin's kind of like not totally invested in it, I don't think. And it doesn't have much to do with Not to the same either. extent. Yeah. Yeah. But Allison Janney's great in this. And they don't, here's another reason I don't like Allison Janney. You cast her just so she can yell at people. Like she's the professional <laughs> take people down a notcher. Yeah, she which is. Which gets really old after a while. And like the part where she balls out like the Korean ultrasound tech in Juno is like my least favorite part of that film. Yeah. But anyway, uh, she does get to yell at some people on this and it it's fine. It it works. It's got like a place in the film. Yeah. She gets her Alice and Janney yelling at people moments. <laughs> Gotta have that. Um, favorite part of the film? Um, believe it or not, like the part where and this is kind of ridiculous. Will Sasso gets um, God um, stuck in the car because his overalls get closed into the door. Yeah, yeah. And second question: uh, Who do you think you are? <laughs> and third question: Are you ashamed for having liked this film so much? Um, Just kidding. I I'm not ashamed. <laughs> you can't I, be proud. Um. Gay! He's gay! Yeah. Um, It's not my favorite part anymore. I don't know. Probably (laughs) the Jesus Christ scene or or the swan ate my baby. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, Oh, yeah. Okay, let's do it. What happened there? I think there was some gasoline. No, no, I know what happened, but why did it happen? Why did 
was Kirstie Alley thinking, oh, okay, let's, we got to talk about the whole quote unquote final act of this film. Sure. So we never, they never tell us who they picked. Right. The judges picked. We know, the audience knows, the movie is implying that it's, the ballot says something else. Right. But there's never a scene, at least that I remember, where she goes, oh, it's my daughter. Oh, yay. And then some people are sad. And then we pan down and she's dropped the uh, envelope or whatever. And it clearly says Amber in there. No, there's no that scene never like happens. that. No. No. And if she, we assume that she has enough pull because her husband, you know, runs the furniture store or whatever. Yes. That these three judges are just going to say Becky in the first place, right? That's the whole idea. Yeah. yeah. So whether they pick a Becky or not, she's just going to say it's Becky. And so Becky's going to be on that float. So why is the float rigged to explode? I don't think it's rigged to explode. I think they're oh. implying that... You think that it's just shoddily made by Mexicans. Yes. Again, movie. Wow. Wow. I think that's what they're implying. So it's after all of these explosions and, I mean, literally two people are killed by explosions uh, before that happens. Murders, uh, sabotage. She's done in by a freak accident? Yes. That doesn't track. I know. Just from a movie, from a storytelling perspective, that doesn't track at all. Yeah. Plus, poor Becky. I know. I feel really bad for that I feel, bitch. <laughs> I feel bad for her, too, even though she's horrible. Wow. All right. So, okay. I, I did not expect that that's what it was, but wow. Okay. I think that's what it is. Oh, even the Mexico thing. <laughs> I pay them in tacos. They love that. Yeah, that's... What? I know. Sam McMurray, another uh, great character actor uh, doing time in this film. This movie, like I said, it really wants to have... Wait. I was saying that about Jingle all the way. Uh, this movie wants to have its uh, hot dish and eat it, too. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, look, these are bad people saying bad things, but they're still kind of funny, aren't they? If they're really funny, yeah. <laughs> but they're not funny enough for you to get away with making all these offensive jokes. I agree. Uh, in my opinion. Uh, I think my favorite part was um, Laurie Sinclair plays Michelle Johnson, who is the theater nerd. And yes. she does her staged reading of Soylent Green, which was not... the. That's something that um, I think the writer wrote because it was like, what would be funny? Ah, but then they didn't like work it out enough. Like if, you know, uh, the director or you bring um, Tom Lennon in from the state, you know, he did Porcupine Racetrack. <laughs> he did like a half sure. an hour musical. Uh, I wish they had had more beats of that. I think that would have been really funny. Instead, it's just like the joke is it's a Soylent Green like staged reading or whatever. But if they had right. made an entire skit, uh, I thought that would have been funny. Um I like the latter bit, which apparently was something that really happened. Um, Lana Williams had actually done as a uh, pageant contestant. Yeah. Ladder dances and stuff. Um, it just doesn't have any big payoff itself. Like, they get paid on themselves, and then... And then dot, that's dot, it. Dot. <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah. of this movie is then dot, dot, dot. And there's nothing <laughs> after the dots. Um, anything that you would improve? I've This is all you, because I have given many suggestions of improvement to this film. Um, I think that I would improve, like, I would maybe have more air time for the other contestants a yeah. little bit. Yeah, I wish that they had been developed more, too. So, um, so it's not just Amber and Becky. They're pretty superfluous. Yeah. Except for the aforementioned, uh, so on the green thing. Yeah. <laughs> it did, like, the, the cowboy dance. Yes. So. One girl is just doing the cowboy dance. 
Yes. Oh, it sucks you in. It does. If I watch this a couple more times, I think I'd really like it. It grows on you. It's it's the it's shortcoming for me is that it's not laugh out loud funny enough, uh, which is fine. There are a lot of movies that aren't like that, but they are dark satire or something, and they sort of pull you in. Like like I mentioned, Bob Roberts, which should not be mentioned in the same breath of this movie, (gasps) but. Like that's nothing in Bob Roberts makes you go, <laughs> but the whole thing is sort of you will be smizing on either side of your head to both sure. of your ears by the time it's over. And this gets really close to that. And yeah, with a few more watches, I bet that I could get there too. But I'm not going to. Why do you think critics didn't like this? Um, I think it's kind of a hard sell. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Uh, there. The satire is a little too dark in places. Ugh. I mean, people die. But I don't... Yeah, well, okay, I see what you mean. I don't call making, like, pretty much unrepentant, like, Mexican jokes to really be satire. Well, that's true. <laughs> um, I think it doesn't go far enough. Like, I think that critics probably saw that it tried to do a lot of things and didn't really commit to a lot of them, and it doesn't really land them and so it's one thing to be sort of an unremarkable you know, romantic comedy or something but when you're really going to try for it and you fall off the trapeze it's like oh, oh look at that guy right I know that's just what I think yeah. I, I also think that it could have again didn't get a lot of support from New Line I think it could have uh, really succeeded or at least done a, uh, had a better shot uh, in an age of social media I think it could have benefited yeah. from word of mouth um, people Quoting lines, you know, Jesus loves winners or whatever, just, you know, just. Yes. And that sort of thing. And it came just before that was really a thing. Yeah. Um, there wasn't any social media to go to to tell people that you liked Dairy Queens. Oh, I mean, Drop Dead Gorgeous. Actually, that does work pretty good. <laughs> does work pretty good. But there aren't any cows at all involved. There's no dairy at all. No. Maybe if the guy owned a ranch or something like that instead of the uh, furniture shop. Oh, boy. Gives you a deal on the love seat. Well, let's see what the critics had to say in our segment called Pick of the Patch. Uh, haha, my mortal enemy, Lisa Schwartzbaum of Entertainment Weekly, gave it a D and said specifically, quote, Satire can withstand a lot of abuse before it wilts into mockery, especially when the subject is something as rich as a teen beauty pageant in Heartland America. But it's a cheap cut glass tiara of a booby prize that goes to Drop Dead Gorgeous for messing up so utterly. Oh, oh, it's utterly. I got. See what you did there. Shots fired <laughs> from the Lutheran Gun Club. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much what we said. What I think is funny about her statement is that it's rich as a teen beauty pageant in Heartland America. Now, I don't think that that is necessarily a rife with comedy premise immediately. No. But in the 90s, we were convinced that it was. Yeah. Cast for me, not cast like, I mean, just cast like you're going to cast a something in metal or something, a <laughs> 2017 remake of Drop Dead Gorgeous. Do you think it has the same comic potential? Because people were falling all over themselves to make fun of cow country in the late 90s. I don't think it has as much potential to be funny. It's been there, done that now. Yeah. 
and I think we're not interested in it anymore. Yeah, I don't think we were interested in it then. (laughs) (laughs) Roger Ebert was a little more um, even-handed in his review, uh, giving it two out of four stars uh, and saying that it probably looked funnier on paper. (sighs) And as a kind of off-and-on screenwriter himself, I think that he probably understood um, the roadblocks to bringing something like this to life. Okay. And so, yeah, he essentially said, like, oh, you know, there's an anorexic uh, person who's on life support, and uh, it all seems funny, right? Uh, probably, like, is one of those scripts that, like, read, like, oh, this would be funny, and then you do it, and you're like, ugh. This is, ugh. yeah, that tastes my mouth. Yeah, not sure that was a great idea. You know, in the original ending of the script, after uh, Kirstie Alley's character killed herself, um, Iona Hildebrandt, the winner from 1945, was supposed to be the one who snapped <laughs> And, like, started killing people. <laughs> what? That's out of left field. Yeah, she wants her crown back. <laughs> Gosh dang Take it. Take it out of that tank that you melted it into. <laughs> uh, and the producer of the film, a guy named Gavin Pallone, who went on to work on other things like Curb Your Enthusiasm, Zombieland, and Gilmore Girls, said that he's... So, I don't know what Amy Sherman Palladino would have to say about this, but says that this movie is basically the seed for Gilmore Girls. Yeah, I read that. That that it wouldn't exist without this movie. Yeah, that he was not, you know, happy really how this movie turned out, but he liked the idea of this relationship between the mother and the daughter where she's clearly destined for something. Stop me if I I have never seen Gilmore Girls. I think I know what it's about. But anyway, and then you got the mother who sees her potential, but also wants her to sort of grow up a certain way. Is this what Gilmore Girls yeah, is I about? I think so. I was a coffee never... shop, I guess. Anyway, yeah. But he got talking to to Amy Palladino, who's the writer director behind Gilmore Girls, yeah. and that became the sort of the seed for. So I don't know if that's just a producer whose job it is to promote themselves and their work as being influential, but thanks, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for that. A year in the life. Or whatever the new one's called. Gilmore Girls fan? Um, not really. <laughs> so, ooh, we can blame this movie for Melissa McCarthy. Oh, there you go. And also, Gavin Pallone was the producer on A Dog's Purpose, that movie that tried to drown a dog. Remember that? Oh, no. Is this? Would you recommend this movie? Wait, is this movie better or worse than Drowning a Dog? <laughs> no, this not actually what? Drowning a Dog. Attempting to Drown a Dog. This movie is better than attempting to drown a dog. The dog doesn't drown. <sighs> All right. It's still not okay. Yeah. Well, they killed a swan for it. So. Yes, they did. <laughs> you would recommend it, though. Yeah, I would recommend it. I think it's worth a watch. Um, <laughs> I do. Yeah, but for to what end? Why is it worth a watch? I think it's funny. Okay. Um, I don't think it's funny. <laughs> I think it's worth a watch. Possibly as a litmus test to find out what kind of person you are, but also just instructionally to see a couple people who are going to do some great things, try really hard in something that's not great, and also just to see how to kind of not do something. I'm really nostalgic about this film, and it makes me laugh every time that I watch it. Yeah. And I... Is it a movie that you watch like with friends a lot? Yeah, I watched it with friends a lot. Oh, that colors our perceptions of something, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm one to talk Mr. Equilibrium. 
There was a couple of times, like a good friend of mine in college, she wanted to watch the Jesus scene in the Swanee. My Jesus baby. specifically, that part's worn out on the tape. Yeah, it's a little snowy. Just that that part. <laughs> um, we didn't even talk about Brittany Murphy. Oh, I know. Um, what is there to say? Um, she's a giggly mess in this. <laughs> it's like, we need a giggly mess. Get me Brittany Murphy. Ring, <laughs> ring, ring. Brittany Murphy's agent gets called. <laughs> exactly. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, she's pretty good. She is pretty good. And she saves the day um, in the end of the movie. Everybody has. It's funny to see. Are we ending this? or? Uh, here's my recommendation. Um, like I said, see it. Just go see it. Why not? Okay. It's a power and a half. Big deal. You'll like it. You'll have a friend for life in Diane Blumenfeld. <laughs> if you don't, uh, come on over. Let's party. Um, but yeah, uh, it's funny how to, to see how everybody kind of gets locked into stuff. Like, I think for Kirstie Alley, all right, this is the part of her career where she's playing like moms and stuff like that, but it's not something that she'd usually do. This is definitely not something Ellen Barkin would do. Um, Kirsten Dunst, do you feel like she's a success as an actress? I used to feel that way. Oh, boy. Okay, that's the wrong question. But, I mean, like, she's, I guess she's done a lot of stuff in her career. Um, same with Dennis, Denise Richards. But, like, it's funny to see one person, for instance, Amy Adams, who, until she reached stardom as put-upon white lady, <laughs> which is, like, what she does now, right. uh, she kind of played, like, a ditz in a lot of movies. Like this. That was kind of her thing going on. Like, she was just, like, Whoa, go like a goonie girl. But already Brittany Murphy at a young age had established, I am the girl who's like fun and is not really touched by any of this. Yeah. Like I am the um, manic pixie who's not going to be your girlfriend necessarily. Right. I'm going to go out and make some ramen or I'm going to be a babysitter or something <laughs> like that. And yeah, I mean, that's that was an interesting persona. Like that was, a, I think, it, I mean, it got her a lot of film work. Yeah, it did. So. Or I'll never tell. She got. Everybody knew that she would never tell. <laughs> dumb. It's really dumb. Well, uh, I think that's it for Drop Dead Gorgeous. Uh, enter at your own risk, but you might have some fun if you don't take the Jesus thing too seriously. Yeah. Uh, that's it uh, on the show. Thanks for joining us. If you want to let us know how you feel about Drop Dead Gorgeous, you can tell us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash craft services. You can also catch us on Twitter at at craft disservice. Only one, only singular, not plural. We're also on Apple Podcasts. You can search for craft services there. Subscribe, rate, and review us because it helps us out a lot. And we're also on Google Play, Stitcher, Blah, blah. All that good stuff. All the places you find podcasts. Uh, Mika, or Diane, I guess I should say, where can people find you online? Uh, they, people can find me at uh, Mika and Hana on Twitter. And is that at M-I-K-A-N-H-A-N-A? -A -A? Yes, that's on Twitter? correct. Okay. And where else? At JustEnoughTrope.com and JustEnoughTrope on Twitter. All right, people should check that out. And that's it for us. The credits are rolling. This is Aaron for Diane saying, keep it real. Keep it real.